You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. And as you turn there, I just want to give you a brief update. Uh, things are going on in St. Joe. I know you probably heard a little bit on the video uh, last week, the announcement that was made by one of the elders. Uh, things are going really well in St. Joe, even though at the, the beginning of the summer uh, this year, so six months ago, we started with about 20 or 30 folks. And God grew us uh, to about 50 adults plus some kids by the time we launched Joe just 11 or 12 weeks ago, and now we're worshiping at about 120 or 25 folks on a Sunday morning, and we are seeking to make disciples. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thank you for praying for us. We actually are going to have our first baptism service. Uh, the Y isn't big enough. The, the, pool, the pool's big enough, but they won't let us put more than 75 people in the pool. So we're going to go and, and use a neighboring church uh, close by. Uh, and during Fresh Encounter, while you guys are having Fresh Encounter here, we're going to have Fresh Encounter there, and we're going to baptize five people. And we're really stoked about that. So uh, thanks for praying for us. And uh, we are so grateful for your investment in that campus. Even though I'm excited about what God is doing in St. Joe and what God's doing here in Granger in our church, God's doing a ton of stuff in our church. I'm also sobered right now and actually burdened. Now that, that may seem kind of odd to you, like how is it that you can be so excited about what God's doing, but then be, be burdened? It's not that I'm not excited about our, our mission and making disciples and the, the pillars and all that, all that we're about as a church. But I'm aware that when things are going well, we can start to coast. We can actually start to be more uh, internally focused rather than externally focused. We're going to learn this morning from this passage that we're called to be salt and light. We're called to look outward. But unfortunately, we can can fall into the temptation of, of looking inward. And there's different types of churches that we could become if we aren't careful. The first one is we can become a charter member church. Now, that's actually not going to be a challenge probably for this campus because if you look around, there's probably a few more than the 13 original folks that started uh, this campus here. But in St. Joe, we are, we are in danger of that reality. God's doing some stuff. People love each other. There's uncommon community happening, and we can face the temptation of just kind of being the group that we are. We can... Face the temptation of being a country club church. What happens in a country club? You, you get a membership somewhere. There's kind of like-minded people. They get together wanting to play some kind of sport, maybe golf or tennis or, or something like that. And, and people, you know, they love being there. They love hanging out together. They love doing their thing together. But you're either in it or you're out. And you know if you're out and you know if you're in. And we don't want people looking at our local church like a country club, like I can't get in because I'm not a part of the club. So we need to look out. We also don't want to be a shuffle church. What's a shuffle church? No, I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about shuffling Christians around. We particularly feel this in the St. Joe campus because you plant something new. People get fired up about new stuff in America. They just do. Even when it's something stupid, they get fired up about something because it's new. 
But we have something new, and there's a reality when there's something new, people are, are come to, want to come to that, want to check that out and see what it is, and other Christians might leave the place where they're at and come to our church. Now, granted, if you're going to a church or if a friend is going to a church where they're not preaching the gospel, if they're preaching some other gospel than the gospel we find in God's word, absolutely, we want to serve folks in that place. We want to help them to make disciples, but we aren't about just shuffling Christians from other churches. If we see growth happening, if we see our numbers grow and other churches are shrinking, we aren't, we aren't serving the cause of Christ. We're hurting the church. We also don't want to be a spectator church. Like we don't have popcorn in, in the lobby for when you come in just so that you can come. Now, because these are comfortable chairs, I get it. Like you can come in, there's air conditioning in the summer, there's heat in the winter. You know, if you have little kids and you're used to just running around until your eyeballs feel like they're gonna fall out, you can come and you can bring your kids and put them in, harvest kids and the gospel is preached to them and you can rest for a little bit and you can just sit and you can coast. Now, certainly, we want to provide an environment that is welcoming, but we are not putting on a show here for, for people who are like-minded, who can just come and be together just to feel safe. No, we, before, and, and, and I know we preach the gospel here. We can look at that list and go, that's not going to be us. That certainly, that's not us, that's not gonna be us, that can't happen to us. But we need to be careful about having that attitude. There was a, the survey done recently where Protestant churchgoers were asked, how many people have you invited to church in the past six months? These are people who feel comfortable sharing their faith. If someone were to ask them, that they'd be okay, yeah, I can share my faith. How many people did they invite to church? Well, 40% of them invited less than five people and half of them didn't invite anyone. How many people have you shared the gospel with? They were asked in the past six months. How many people have you shared the message about Christ with? 30% of those people shared the gospel with less than five people and 61% of them did not share the gospel with anyone at all. These are Bible-believing Protestant Christians just like you and me. And yet, the creep of being insular has come and affected them and is a part of their experience. And it's my prayer that we would not be in that statistic. I pray that we're gonna be the ones that are gonna be the curve killers that are gonna blow that statistic up because we have this passage right here. Let's read it this morning. Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Folks, we want to become an influential church. 
We've become an influential church because the reality is that this county, the town that we are in right now, the county that we're in, the state that we're in, they are not going to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ unless we tell them. They are not going to know what a transformed life looks like unless we live it before them. And if we don't keep our focus outward, we could become one of those first four churches. But we're not going to do that because we're going to look at what God's word has to say. We're going to actually look. This is Jesus is the one who said this in the Sermon on the Mount. And he gives us two images of salt and light of how we're to be influencers in our world. And the first one is salt. So the first thing we need to do is we need to shake our salt. That's not some new dance and I'm not going to do it for you. You're grateful. People are like, ah, that's what I prayed for. No, we're going to shake our salt. And the people in the front were going, I hope the lid doesn't come off of this. But there's nothing coming out because maybe like when I was a kid, we used to in the restaurant, we'd find like rice and stuff and we'd stuff it in there and then we'd watch, see people like grab it and we'd just snicker and ah, they can't get it out. That was all fun and games when I was younger and didn't know the Lord, but the reality was as people were using their salt, wanting to season their food, they couldn't because salt doesn't matter how salty it is. It doesn't make a difference if it doesn't come out of the salt shaker. We have to shake our salt. We have to be seasoning in this world. But before we are, we need to understand we need to understand that we are valuable. You're valuable. First century Christians, when they would have first heard this, they would have heard the salt of the earth and immediately they would have thought of something extremely valuable. See, we can go to the grocery store and buy salt in a honking huge container for like 99 cents and sprinkle it on our, our sidewalk when it gets snowy and icy. But for them, it was rare, it was, value. it was valuable enough that even first century, uh, first century uh, guards would be paid in salt. That's how valuable salt was. And we need to understand that we are valuable. You are God's child. You are someone for whom the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life. You don't start with what do I need to do? You need to start with who you are in Christ. You need to start with what he has done. As we consider how we are gonna go and season this world, how we're gonna shake our salt, you need to understand you are valuable, valuable enough for God to give his only son. But you are salt and your life creates a thirst for God because salt gives flavor. Salt gives flavor. You are the salt of the earth. I can think of all kinds of things that salt gives flavor to, but one thing that just pops in my head because I went on a trip with my daughter looking at a college and we stopped at a grocery store to get some snacks and she wanted her favorite snack, which is beef jerky. 
Some of you may think that's gross. Some of you think that's awesome and you want some right now. But when you, how do you make beef jerky? You make beef jerky by taking some meat, some beef that could relatively tasteless, unless you really like raw meat. It, it's ta- but what do you do with it? You, you cover it with salt and spices and yummy things. And you let it sit in it for a few days. And then you put it in the oven and you, you dry it out. And what do you get? You get this wonderful food that you don't have to refrigerate. It's great now and great a year from now. You can take it with you on the trail, on a road, and it tastes great. Why? Because it's salty. It's changed. It's changed because it's been infused by salt and other spices. Our world is tired of bland Christianity. They are tired of it. They are tired of watered-down Christianity. They're tired of boring Christians. They are. Statistically, two-thirds of people who were surveyed thought that Christians were just hypocrites. Say one thing, do another thing. Half of them said Christians are boring. Why did they say Christians are boring? Because the Christians they know are boring. They are. We can be too salty. We can go and, 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 and look at people and, and, and interact with them and the way in which we interact with them. When we come walking uh, down the path or, or into the lunchroom or, or somewhere and they see us coming, they're like, oh, here they come. I don't want to be around Jamie. I feel a criticism coming on. It's because we take our Bibles and we beat them over the head with them using our words, expecting them to live up to the the truths that are in this book when they don't have Christ because they can't. They can't unless their lives, their hearts have been transformed by the power of the gospel. They can't do what's right. So we should not expect them to or beat them over the head. So we don't want to be too salty. We also don't want to be bland. There's like, there's like the no-salt Christians. When they see you coming, what do they do? Nothing. They do nothing because our lives don't look any different than the other people around them. In fact, they might even look even more boring, like, ah, oh, like I'm gonna avoid that person just because, ah, I, this is gonna be a downer for my day. That's what unbelievers are seeing. They are seeing Christians who are living boring lives, too salty, no, not enough salt, but the reality is is real Christianity is anything but boring. No one is going to come in here on a Sunday morning after the worship that we just had and go, that was boring. No, because we have a Savior to sing about. We have love to express because of the love that has been expressed to us. We have joy to share because of the joy that we have in Christ. We have peace because we know peace with God. People are longing to have peace. They're looking for it in all kinds of places. And yet we have it. So we want to live in such a way that creates a thirst for people. We want to create a thirst in people for the things of God. We want, when, our, when, when, when we're done interacting with people, we want people to be longing for more of God, to say, I want what you have got. 
people should look forward to seeing us. They, they should know how you're coming. I feel an encouragement coming on. They should feel, oh, I love when they're around because there's just something different about everything when they're around. Now, brothers and sisters, understand, listen to me. I am not saying that you should compromise your faith in any way to get people to like you. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus said, if you are my disciples and you are in the world, they're gonna hate you. But if people are gonna hate us, they better hate us because we are found in Christ, because our lives reflect the fact that we are Christians, not because we're jerks. Seriously, I know we laugh about it, but we don't want to be hated because we compromise in our life. Or because we're crotchety, grumpy people. We want to create a thirst in people. So how do we do that? How do we create a thirst in people? Well, it's not, it's not rocket science. Like, like we love people unconditionally. That, that does mean sacrifice sometimes, but, but people, aren't, people aren't used to that. We, we've grown accustomed to that. We, we have great small groups and we love one another and, and, and we know that the, the world's gonna know that we're Christians by our love for one another. So we're, we're used to that. We're used to caring for each other and forgiving each other. They're not. The world out there, they're not used to that. So when someone extends a hand of mercy or forgiveness or when someone is, is patient, it blows their mind. People are on edge these days because there's just, there's lots of things going on and there's lots of demands and, and people are used to being demanding. When, when, when they encounter someone who's not demanding of them but is loving to them, they can't help but stop and know the flavor of your life. Do what's right. Don't compromise in your life. Have a high standard for yourself and don't hold them to the same standard. Let God take them to that place. The fact that you don't cheat on your taxes or steal stuff from work or, or compromise a little here, compromise a little there, that stands out crazy huge in our culture these days. I have a friend whose boss called him into uh, his office one time and uh, he didn't know what was going to happen. He was like, okay, the boss is calling me in the office. I'm either getting some kind of instruction, which I hope that's what it is, or I'm going to get reprimanded. Most people got called in because they got reprimanded in this particular boss's office. So he sits down, and the boss comes in, shuts the door behind him, sits down across the desk, looks him in the face, and says, I want what you've got. I want what you've got. You are different than the other Christians that I know. Will you tell me how to have what you have? And right there, he prayed with his boss to receive Christ. Why? Because he had some slick gospel presentation? No. It's because his life was seasoned with salt. It was all of his life. Did he share the gospel? He did. But he did what was right. Teens, if you're a teen here, there's a bunch of you over here. 
You can live your life for Christ. Don't think because you are young that, that this message is for everybody else. Now, church, just recently, I went to a parent-teacher conference for my kids. So in the school my kids go to, uh, you go to the gym and talk with the teachers. You wait in line and you get to see all the, all the teachers. And I was doing this. It was great, going well. And there was one more teacher I had to see and I was ready to go talk with that teacher. And I was ready to go home. I had some stuff to do and I had to wait. And they, they say you're only supposed to talk with the teacher for 10 minutes, but apparently the parent who was sitting there did not feel the need to follow that rule as I was waiting there and it was definitely helping me grow in my sanctification in the Lord as I was waiting 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And the teacher, at the whole time this is going on, the teacher is obviously uncomfortable, tense, doing her best to just say gracious, nice words and not go to jail by doing something she shouldn't. You could totally see this kind of look on her face. And then, then the parent finally gets up and then I come and I sit down and, and I'm, you know, the, her face is obviously still uh, uh, rather tense and wanting to know who, who are you and who is your kid? And so I asked, I asked Gabby's permission to share the story. It's about my daughter, Gabby. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm Gabby Maxim's dad. Oh, it was like, it was like she was on a lounger in her chair. Is it because Gabby is the most amazing student? No, like Gabby could raise her hand more in class and, and ask more questions. Like Gabby is respectful. She does her homework and you know, when opportunity presents itself, she tries to be helpful to other students. Like those were the three things that I, that I heard. But, but the teacher talked about them as, as if Gabby was covered in gold. <laughs> so teens, I know you're all out here. You can have an effect for the Lord Jesus Christ. The way in which you live your life matters. You do not have to wait until you get to college or till you get married or till you get a career or whatever it is. You can have an effect now and it doesn't matter what kind of schooling option you're in. You interact with people who don't know Christ. Season your life with the gospel. Live a transformed life. Because your life, even at a young age, can give people a thirst for God. But even as we do that, we want to beware of losing our influence. If the salt has lost its taste, in verse 13, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Much of the salt in Palestine, like the salt that you find in the Dead Sea, was, was contaminated by minerals that left the, the salt flat and, and even repulsive it, to taste it. When a batch of salt was contaminated, they wouldn't throw it out in the garden because if they threw it in the garden, it would just contaminate all the, the, the food that they would grow there. They wouldn't put it by a tree because it would make the tree not grow. So they threw it on the place where people walked. So as they walked, they would grind it down into the ground and it would go away. 
it would have no influence on anything. Now this verse is not saying that you, as you live your Christian life, if you screw up, tough, you're done. No, Jesus said, no one can snatch us out of the Father's hands. That's what he said in John 10. No one. If you are truly found in Christ, you can't lose the salvation that you have found. You are secure in Christ, but you can lose your influence. We can lose our influence by hypocrisy or self-righteousness or being judgmental or being boring. Does your life have the reputation of being flavorful or have you lost your influence? Have you allowed the cares of the world and the things of this world to creep into your life such that your life doesn't look anything different than anybody else's? This should be sobering for us to stay salty because Brothers and sisters, we are the only ones that have the hope of the world to share with people. Jesus wanted us to be an influence, not an influence like salt in your wound. That's nasty. Who wants to be that? No, we want to be salt that seasons food. We want to be the ones that come and the aroma of Christ. When we go to places, you are the salt of the earth, but Jesus also says that you are the light of the world and we want to shine our light. It says you are the light of the world. Now, for those of you who are familiar with reading your Bible, and if you're not, that's okay. If you're familiar with reading your Bible, who else? in the Bible is referred to as the light of the world. Anyone? Come on, like that's not, oh, let, let's do this again, okay? Okay, who out, don't, don't say it quietly like you don't know what the answer is. You know what the answer is. Who, who is referred to as the light of the world? Jesus. Jesus, absolutely, absolutely. The gospel is simple enough for even a child to understand and to proclaim. We shine a light that doesn't come from us. We don't generate it from us. We need to know Jesus is the light of the world and that's where the light comes from. We need to know the light of the world. Before we can go shine the light of the world, we have to know the light of the world. In Isaiah 9-2, it says, the people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. You walked in the darkness. You now have seen the great light, Jesus, and those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them this light has shined. It has shined. Jesus Jesus quoted this verse in one chapter before this in verse 16. He quoted this verse. He quoted it to say, I have come. If you're here this morning and you have not met the risen Savior Jesus, he's here to tell you, even though in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of the weight of the trials in your life, he's here to say, I have come. The light of the world is here. I have pierced the darkness. And you can come 
to him today. You can come to him today because he said in verse 17, after quoting that verse, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He can make your relationship with God right. He can make all the wrongs that have happened in your life. One day he will make them all right, but he can transform you and you can find peace and hope and joy in knowing him because he is the only one that can reconcile you with God because he paid the penalty for the sins of all those who would trust in him. And I wanna encourage you, if you're here this morning and you have never encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, there'll be some pastors and elders up here at the end of the meeting. We wanna pray with you. We wanna help you to get to know Jesus more. And if you have trusted in Christ, you've seen the great light come. You have to know intimately your savior because you aren't the one that has to generate the light. Like when you go to the fair or like a kid's museum, they'll have like a light bulb, like on a stand and they'll have like a crank and you just crank it. And as you crank it, crank it, crank it, crank it, crank it faster, faster, the light starts to get brighter and brighter and brighter and you crank it. And like your kids want you to crank it until your arm falls off and then you stop and you, ah, and then the light kind of goes down. When we shine our light, that's not the way we shine our light. We don't work something up. It looks more like what happened to one of the guys up in St. Joe a few weeks ago was, was figuring out how to work one of our lights. He put it on a stand. He asked one of the other guys to plug it in, not realizing that the light came on automatically. As soon as he plugged it in, he plugged it in, an LED, four LED lights, boom, right there in the face. They work really great to light stuff up. But why did that light shine so brightly without any work? Because it was plugged into the source. Because it was plugged into the source. So you need to stay plugged into the source. That is Jesus. That is knowing who he is. That's delighting yourself in who he is. Because brothers and sisters, it's our, our, our struggle is less about resisting the world. It's about delighting in Jesus. As you run to Christ, the things of this world grow strangely dim. Plug yourself into the source. That's kind of the root of why we do the three W's, worship, walk, work. You see the banners around here? What is that? We, we gather together every week to worship the Lord together. Who isn't energized by what we got to do this morning? Singing together. The word is faithfully preached here. Pastor Trent comes up here week after week preparing amazing meals for us to grow and to learn, to be encouraged. And then we, we need to go each day and delight ourselves in God. George Mueller said once the, the first and primary thing in his life was to start his day by making his soul happy in God. Yes, we're gonna read the word. We're gonna pray. We're gonna worship on our own, but we want to get our soul happy in God. That's how we stay plugged into the source. And then we can shine our light. We get into a small group. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. You aren't supposed to do this alone. And then share the gospel with people. Other than being with you all, when we get to worship together, whether it's a Sunday morning or one of our prayer meetings, like, I love that. But other than that time, the, the, uh, the only time in my life when I am as energized and ready to jump up and down and throw things around, it's when I share the gospel with people. 
when I share the gospel, whether someone responds to the gospel or whether they reject the gospel, the Lord does something in my heart that I just want more of Christ and I want to get rid of all the stuff that keeps me from wanting more of Jesus. You can do that. You can be connected to the source by worshiping, walking, working, sharing the gospel. Because a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't hide the light. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Light, light always shines, okay? Light shines, light. I didn't want to burn myself with a candle, so I brought a flashlight. It shines, light shines. I shouldn't have done that. Light shines. It can't not shine. You are the light of the world. You can't not shine. That my English teacher might not like that, but that's just true. You can't not shine. You shine. You're the light of the world. You've been transformed by the power of the gospel. You're going to shine. Your life's changed. It's different. It looks different. The only way it doesn't shine is if you cover it up. I mean, think about that picture, hiding it under a basket. Like, think about it. If you guys each were like, like a little candle, you light it and they're there. Oh, we have light. Look at all this light. We have light. It's wonderful light. I love the light. I love your light and my light because it's the light of the world. But if you put a basket over it, no one is going to see it. No one is going to see it. You can be, you can be shining as bright as the sun and no one's going to see it if you cover it up. Now, how do we cover it up? The first way we can cover it up is, is we don't tell people about Jesus. If you don't tell people about Jesus, how's your light going to shine? How, how is your light going to shine if you hide the fact that you're a Christian? I'm not talking about taking like the Christian bumper sticker off the back of your car. Talking about like when someone asks you if you're a Christian or a conversation comes up about church-related matters, don't, don't shy away from those conversations. That's how you can hide the light. You can hide the light by like when you see uh, your neighbor, when you call, go home like, and, and you pull in your driveway and you see your neighbor about ready to, to get out of their car. Just run into the house. Just take off. Make sure that you don't make eye contact with your neighbor because then you might have to talk to them. So just get right in the house. That is totally a way that you can hide your light. Or when you're like at the grocery store or shopping for Christmas and you're waiting in line because you're going to wait in line. You can totally hide your light by looking at the light of your phone and acting like you're more important than you really are. Just by, you know, doing something, email, whatever. Because if you look at that and you don't make eye contact, no, one, no one's going to no talk to you. You know, like you, it's, it's like when you get in an elevator, everybody, everybody's looking forward when they walk in and as soon as they walk in, they look at the floor because they don't want to talk. Are you a floor looker Christian? We, that's how we hide the light. Lastly, the, the, one of the biggest ways to hide the light is 
fill your schedule with time with other Christians. Only hang out with Christians. Now, you just heard me say you should be in a small group, and you totally should be in a small group where we need one another to encourage one another. But if our lives are completely filled with only time with other believers, they're the only ones that are gonna see the light. They're the only ones that are gonna see the light. So if you wanna hide it, then just fill your schedule full. Like, there's lots of Christian things we can do. Lots of things, everything in our calendar we could do with other Christians. Brothers and sisters, light is absolutely useless if you hide it. It's dark outside. It might be daylight right now, but it's dark out there. It doesn't matter what the state of the the latest thing in the news or how the economy is going. Don't, Don't think for a moment that things aren't still headed in the same direction. It's dark. People are satisfying themselves with stuff that doesn't deliver. And they're dying under the weight of sin and guilt and shame. And they will die in that state if we don't shine the light. We are the only way that some people will see the light. And if you're hindered by thinking that people don't want to talk, I understand. There's temptations to go share the gospel, to relate with people. There's commitment there. You gotta put yourself out there. But you need to know that that a recent survey was done and and it said that 70 to 80% of people believe that God exists. 70 to 80% of people believe that God exists. So you know that four out of five people you're gonna talk to likely are gonna believe in God. You have a common place to start. Hey, do you know what I know about God? And look at this. If someone, this, this is what they were asked, if someone wanted to tell me what she or he believed about Christianity, I would be willing to listen. You see that? You see that, young people in your 20s? 90% of the people are willing to listen to you. Even as we get older and more crotchety, we're still willing to listen. Three out of four people are willing to listen. Don't think for a moment that every person is just gonna slam their door in your face or gonna go slash the tires in your car, though that would be worth it for the cause of Christ. They are willing to listen. If, if I would be willing to study the Bible if a friend asked me to. You don't know what to say? Hey, God knows what to say. All you gotta do is read it with them. Half of the people are willing to read the Bible. So knowing that, we don't want to hide the light. We want to be bold in showing the way. We want to, don't hide it, but put it on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We want to let our light shine. We want to put it on a stand in the first century. They didn't have houses like we experienced with multiple rooms and and such. They had one room. And so when you put a stand in the middle of the room, you put a light on it, it gave light to all who were in the house, unashamedly. 
So we put it there. When you go into a place, you will shine your light. It will have the same effect of giving light to everyone who is there. That's what will happen. So what are the ways that we shine our life? Well, certainly we tell people that we're Christians and we seek to live a righteous life. We're not perfect. You don't live a perfect life. I usually start that way. Hey, I don't live a perfect life, but I seek to honor the Lord with my life. Because they think I'm gonna think I'm perfect and that they're not perfect and they don't wanna talk to me. No, like I put common ground. I started in the same place as you, bro. Let me tell you about Jesus. Get to know your neighbors, serve them. Let them serve you. Spend time with them. Have like a cookie party with them or something. I don't know what that is. I'd go to a cookie party if you had a cookie party. I wouldn't care if it was like a sneaky way of talking to me about Jesus. You're making cookies. It's Christmas time. Be friendly with people in public. Put your phone away. Interact with people. That doesn't mean you like have to take the five seconds you have with the, with the lady at the department store as you're checking out to go, hold on a second, let me share the gospel with you in five seconds while all these other 10 people are waiting in line. No, just be kind to people. Go to the same person every time you check out at that particular store, get to know them, get to know their name, get to know who their family is and God will open a door for you. Find ways to consistently spend time with lost people. You're gonna have to schedule it. I know life is busy. I got four kids. I'm a pastor. I've got lots going on. I spend lots of my time with you folks, which I love doing. But it's a challenge. It's not like I can, you know, see people get saved at work. You know, that's really challenging when other pastors don't know Jesus and you have to see them get saved at work. So pray for me because all the people I work with are Christians. And I have to work at it, but I know you have to work at it too. But most importantly, share the gospel. Share the gospel. Do not be afraid because it's the power of God to salvation for those who believe. The power is in the message, not the messenger. You don't have to work it up. You just delight yourself in Jesus. You share the message and you watch the fireworks happen. Share the gospel. And don't feel like you have to be able to confront every argument or question that somebody has. You simply have to be the one that shows the way. There, there's the time when I walked into a, a cavern with, you know, as a kid, we walked through and uh, we were showing the stalactites and the stalagmites and all that fun stuff. And halfway through the tour, the tour guide said, hold on, everybody stop. We're gonna shut the lights off to show you what dark looks like. Oh, okay, I'm little, this is gonna be scary. Shut the lights off, boom, and it's darkity dark, 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 dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face. It's dark, he flips the lights on and then takes us all the way out. But then he says, oh yeah, one time I was leading this tour and um, we did that and the lights didn't come back on. And, but we had, we had like two, two flashlights that were good and one was kind of good and we had them on and we, we led people out. Like, how did they get people out of the darkness? It wasn't because they had their lights shining on everything so they could expose everything. No, he got us out. He got those people out by shining the light on the path. All you have to do is show them Christ. You need to lead them to Jesus. He'll take care of the rest. 
You just need to light the way. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what? I'm snuffed out. I want to get excited about what you're saying. But I'm, I'm going through a trial and it's really hard. Or you're saying, I, I, I have committed sins that are unspeakable and I, I'm done. I wish I wasn't done, but I'm done. I understand that what you're walking through is hard. The enemy wants you to believe that you're snuffed out. He wants you to believe that. It's no secret that the enemy's trying to snuff us out everywhere. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if, you, if you've struggled with sin and you're in that place, again, I wanna say this again, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You are the light of the world. You have light to shine. And you can shine your light. You can know the forgiveness of Christ. You can move forward. If you're in a trial and, and, it, and the weight of the world is pouring down on you and you don't think that you can be a witness for Christ because of all that's going on in your life, let me tell you, People don't suffer well in this world. They are using every form of beverage or drug to satisfy the suffering in their life. And yet you, you showed up today. You came. You're just showing up every day, just trusting in Jesus. And believe me, that is bright. And people are noticing. It is different. You are creating the light. You are not creating the light. You are shining the light. And it is making a difference for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't leave here discouraged. Leave with hope. Because you are the light of the world. And we do it so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who's in heaven. So just prepare. Prepare for a harvest, brothers and sisters. Prepare for a harvest because we are God's means of influence. Jesus wanted us to know this. He clearly stated it. He gives us two illustrations of salt and light. He wants us to be this in the world because he wants the world to know who he is. He is craving glory. Our God is craving glory because he's the only one worthy of glory and people need to give him glory and we are gonna be the conduit, the means in which people will give God glory. God is gonna get more glory for the things that you do and the way that you live. And we should expect this is going to happen in our lives. Well, look, something like this, a story told by Woodrow Wilson about a time he went to a barber shop. He said this, I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and he sat in the chair next to me. Now, every word the man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. 
And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service. And he goes on, he said, I purposefully lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barber shop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something. They knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. That was the experience of one man as he observed another man. That other nameless man, we know him by the name of D.L. Moody. Yeah, his name's on a church and on a school in Chicago, and I'm sure he would not like that. But it's that way because he sought to live his life in such a way that seasoned his conversations that shine the light of Christ, even in the most common of places, a place where you get your hair cut. He would be burdened at the end of a day if he hadn't shared the gospel with somebody. And it wasn't because he got some vision to generate it up. No, he, he got a vision. And that was a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was transformed. And you are called to go and do the same, to be salt and light, to live the life that you've been transformed to live. Now, I'm gonna pray for us as we typically do at the end of a message, but I don't want you to start to rustle around because we're not done yet. God's not done yet. I'm gonna pray and then we are going to take communion together. But during the time of the passing of the elements, we're gonna take some time to pray because I believe God wants to take this word and this passage and he wants us to apply it right now and set a course for us. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray right now, God, for those who are here this morning who don't know Christ. If you are one of those people, there are gonna be folks up here at the end. We wanna pray with you. We wanna talk with you, talk with someone you came with. But I pray, Lord, that you would guard those people right now. I pray, Lord, that the enemy would have no way with them, that you'd protect that, those individuals from the enemy's schemes. Lord, that they would see Jesus clearly and repent and come to Christ. I pray, God, for us as a church. God, I pray, God, that you would give us boldness, that we would have boldness as a lion has boldness, that we would be trusting in the power of the gospel. Use us, God. Use us to reach the lost of this community. God, would our doors bust open because people want to know Jesus who've never known him before. That we could go make disciples who then go out and make more disciples. Do that in our church, God. We ask that you do this, Lord, in Jesus' name.